Hey, this episode of the regular podcast is brought to you by DV Real's new single, She Knows It. Go to title, Apple Music, iTunes, cop it. It's hard. I'm telling you. I just wanna fuck it, she knows it. I ain't tryna cover, she knows it. I ain't tryna fall in love, she knows it. I just wanna fuck it, she knows it. Hey, she knows it. Hey, she knows it. Hey, she knows it. Hey. Reiterating my deep appreciation, profound thanks to the men and women of law enforcement, to me personally, that you've given to me. Uh, and I want to thank every sheriff in America. Since our founding, the independently elected sheriff has been the people's protector uh, who keeps law enforcement close to and accountable to people through the elective process. The office of sheriff is a critical part of of the Anglo-American heritage of law enforcement. We must never erode this historic office. I know this. You know this. We want to be partners. We don't want to be bosses. We want to strengthen you and help you be more effective in your work. Hey, what's up? We back with another episode of the regular podcast. Well, I'm back with another episode of the regular podcast. It's just me by myself. I know how much y'all hate listening to your boy Kilo by his lonesome because, you know, I get when it's just me, I'm into different things. You know, it's not just about bouncing cool opinions and ideas when you get just me. You know what time it is? Factual is actual factuals. And and it's just something we got to get into, man. Um, right now I'm recording this on Monday, February 12th. <clears throat> Shay is like at work, about to get off work or probably at work right now, probably going to get our child. So, you know, um, I'm going to knock this one out. I'm going to knock this one out for y'all. But Pete, <clears throat> somebody with a 330 number just sent me a text. I don't know who the F it is. I'll find out who they are later though. I know that. Hopefully it ain't no, no, you know what I mean? But uh, what y'all been up to, man? My week, I guess my past, like, since the last time I talked to y'all, like, 14 days ago or whatever it was, everything been everything. You know how that go. Um, <clears throat> let me get straight into it because I, I didn't talk to y'all in a while, but y'all heard the Quincy Jones stuff? I mean, everybody has talked about it about now. Um, the only reason I wanted to get into it is because I want to wake people up to a, a fact real quick. Um, Quincy Jones is like 85 years old, so there's no reason for us, for me in particular, to think that he's lying about anything. <clears throat> I know some people have been trying to speculate if he added a little bit of extra sugar and spice on the, on his stories, but I don't think he's lying about anything. He has done a lot in life. If he say this happened, his you know how people, we have a filter. We call it discretion. The older you get, the less and less that filter is active. Discretion goes away with age. You know what I mean? On top of being, okay, at 85 years old, that will put his birth date around what? The 30s? That will put him at what? 1933 when he was born? Things that were normal to say back then when he was growing up, you know, might not be as normal now. Plus, he's probably been on all kind of drugs and all that. You know how that go. 
I believe every word of it. And it's just funny. I read an article in GQ and I told Shay, I said, yo, <clears throat> this Quincy Jones article in GQ, when they tell his life story, his life story is probably going to be the best biopic we, biopic we ever seen. Because <clears throat> every all the stories he's been telling in the Vulture magazine, people have kind of glossed over the GQ one for whatever reason. Quincy Jones was talking about how um, he's from Chicago or whatever, right? He wanted to be a gangster growing up. He know he wasn't thinking about a job. He didn't think about school. He wasn't thinking about music. He said he grew up wanting to be just like the gang. He said, if y'all think Chicago is bad now, you should have seen it back then. He said him and his brother used to come outside. People used to be hanging from light poles and stuff like, you know, because Chicago is a big mob city, big mafia joint. You know, the Italians, the Europe, the, you know, the Europeans that wasn't really white back in the day. But they are considered white now. Those Europeans was running the underworld and the murder game used to be real crazy. He said he grew up seeing that. And he said he wanted to be just like those people. So, you know, coming from somebody, I mean, coming from a guy like him who already came from the mindset of wanting to be a gangster. Like, I think his story is about to be amazing. He said he got like a 10 part thing coming. So I can't wait for that. <clears throat> I love biopics anyway, especially the older black people because they get the they've been through some crazy stuff. I don't know if they realize how crazy it is. They just think it's just like, oh, this is my life. I don't know if some of them really realize how wild some of the stuff is that was. All right. <clears throat> anyway. So that's my that's my take on it. Y'all should believe everything he said because he's an old man with no reason to lie. Now, I just I, I was on Bing. You know, I use uh, Bing, the, the search engine. And I saw this thing on there called allergy bullying. Now, I know y'all probably as confused as I am, but you know, a movie just came out called Peter Rabbit. I guess it's a children's movie or whatever. And people are calling for a boycott. Now, I know we all had a reason to joke about Monique's boycott. It was because of her presentation mainly. I laughed at the presentation also, but I agreed that she should get more money. Right. But I'm not boycotting Netflix. That's just me. Can't boy. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I can't. They, you can't say color and gender bias and then name other people that fit the criteria that you're saying should be being discriminated against. So I'm not boycotting Netflix. But <clears throat> that boycott was funny. This boycott right here. Now, they're just taking it to a new level. People were saying boycott Peter Rabbit because they made light of allergies. It's called allergy bullying. I guess there was some rabbit on the movie who's allergic to blackberries. And instead of them being sensitive to this allergy, I guess the, the bunnies got into a fight and started throwing blackberries at the little rabbit. And one of the blackberries went in his mouth. And then he started having a seizure or something like that. He had to hit himself with the EpiPen. Okay, so the personification of animals is goofy. And of course, you know, they have always done quote-unquote violent things with animals when they personify animals but people are calling for the boycott because they say this is insensitive to people with allergies they say if you had a diabetic nobody would laugh if you would shove sugar down their throat now we're talking about rabbits here you understand i can see if you was just like that's not funny to me i have an allergy to blackberries but if you're just some random person that has a child with an allergy and you're telling people to boycott the movie because they make fun of rabbits with blackberry allergies, I can't get, I don't understand it, man. I really don't understand it. Think they're going crazy right now in the news, man. I think, I think is, I think Twitter is to blame for a lot of this. And it's not about blaming, but it's just like Twitter 
has like <clears throat> we used to say that you could find like-minded people you know when you think like something you'll be able to find people that think like you it's that's before the internet was around that's just a, a thing period then the internet came and it was like even more of a thing but now that twitter is prominent in our society you can find thousands, hundreds, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that think exactly like you. And they can say their thoughts within a, a span of 240, 280 characters, whatever it is. And that right there is causing a lot of confusion in the atmosphere. Y'all heard my mole episode, man. Twitter is the I ain't even going to go there with it. Listen, y'all, y'all, y'all hit me up. Uh. However you feel like hitting me up, whether it be on Facebook at Jamar Kilo Mansa, Twitter at Kilo underscore Righteous, man. Tell me how y'all feel about allergy bullying. I know people with allergies also, and I don't know if they would have been offended by that. I might have some allergies. I don't know, man. I don't know. I just know my mom always told me since I have, well, I think it's because of this. I got the sickle cell trait, right? And she said, do not ever eat or take an aspirin. I assumed that that had to do with the sickle cell trait because we were having a conversation about that. And she was like, don't ever take this. So I got an allergy, but I would never be offended at a blackberry going into a rabbit's mouth. Man, <clears throat> somebody get these people, man. I blame Twitter for that one. You know what I'm saying? Moving right along. Moving right along. Uh, y'all... Yo, what's up, man? Don't look at me like that. I'm talking to y'all. Don't look at me like that. Hey, don't y'all hate when uh you know I got a I got my brother I ain't even gonna say that. I ain't even gonna say that. Alright. In other news, in other Caucasian news, the reason I'm telling y'all the Caucasian news because most of my listeners are black. We know the black news. I'm telling y'all the Caucasian news from a black perspective. Another Caucasian news. The Boston Police Department honored Coach Red Auerbach for Black History Month. What do I mean by that? Honored him. I mean, you know, it's nothing wrong with honoring white people in February, right? Because black people, we don't own February. So if y'all just gonna honor y'all people, you know, do y'all thing. They honored this white man for Black History Month. Do y'all know what he... They honored him for being the first coach in the NBA to draft a black player. They didn't honor the black player that got drafted. They honored him for this white man for drafting the first black player into the NBA. I'll read the I'll read the quote uh, exactly from the um, Boston Police Department's Twitter. In honor of Black History Month, we pay tribute to Celtics coach Red Auerbach for being the first NBA coach to draft a black player in 1950. Filled in all, oh, this is another thing they were honoring him for. He filled in an all African-American starting five in 1964, and he, he hired the league's first African-American coach in 1966. That was Bill Russell. Okay. So because he had associations with black people. They honored him for Black History Month. We we haven't even had Black History Month that long officially in America. And white people already trying to undermine it and take it over. You talking about what they I think um officially like what 1984 something like that is when we started getting recognized like 
when it was a national, you know, appreciation. That's that's thirty. That's thirty four years ago, man. And they already like they they don't waste any time. Y'all seen the Nefertiti? They they um brought the Nefertiti head on the on a Good Morning show or whatever show it was, Good Morning America, whatever. And it was a white woman. Like they don't waste any time. <laughs> if if it's if it's happening, they're coming for it. Y'all let me know what y'all think about Boston and the foolery that they got going on, man. I don't think it's cool, but clearly they thought it was a good idea to do that, man. They thought it was a good idea to do that. Now, the main thing I wanted to really talk about today, I told people I was kind of starting like a book club called Mansa's Mandatory reading Mansa being from you know um Mansa Musa but he wasn't the first Mansa Mansa is a title it's not a name Mansa means king of kings so if you know anything about some of those African countries in West Africa especially every I would say every village I guess or not even like every tribe has their own leader with like king chief whatever you want to call them and then there's uh, king over all of those kings or leaders. That's what Mansa means. Mansa means king of kings. So uh, my Facebook name is Jamar Kilo Mansa. I use that name Mansa. I like that. That's a cool name. Plus, what my first name is, which I won't say on here, my first name is if I was born in Ghana, it would be Mensa because Mensa means like first son born on a Monday. And I was born on Labor Day in 1990. So my name would be Mensa and then Mansa, you know, it's kind of close. So whatever. Mansa means king of kings. So Mansa's mandatory reading uh, book club. Right. And I wanted to start it. It's Shay calling me right now. I wanted to start it with a uh, with this book called The Color of Law. All right. Hold up, y'all. Hello. What's up? What's up? Nothing. I'm recording a podcast. I'm I'm talking to you live on the podcast, but they can't hear you. Huh? He said you're talking to me live on a podcast, but they can't hear me. Well, no, I was talking to you while I was live recording, but. They, they, I mean, it might be able to hear you now, though. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right, so what you talking about? Am I, am I calling? No, you're not a calling. I don't have it all plugged oh. up like that. Oh, so you lied. You, you said I was, um, they can't hear me. I said they, I said they can't hear you. Oh, okay, well, all right. Yeah. I'm, I'm not about to take long. I'm, I'm going to call you when I get done. I ain't about to take that long. Alright. Yeah, that was Shay. I'm not I'm not editing that out. Okay, so the book club. I wanted to start with a book called The Color of Law, right? And that's that's what what I did. And I said we we're gonna do five chapters a week and we'll come back and we'll discuss it. I don't know how many people actually got involved with the book. I got involved with the book. It's a great, great, great book, man. Very good read. If y'all could get it, <clears throat> check it out. It's called The Color of Law, A Forgotten History of How America, of, of How America, wait, sorry. 
the color of law, a forgotten history of how our government segregated America. Okay, I, I think I told you about my dyslexia. So I be I read lines out of order sometimes. That's why I just messed that up. The author's name is Richard Rothstein. <clears throat> He's a white man, and he wrote about segregation in America. And you know, I, for real, it, it sometimes that's what it's gonna take. It's gonna take these white people to talk to each other. Because if a bunch of us just get together and tell them like, "Yo, y'all effing up," they're not listening. Y'all, we already know that. That's just how the history go. They're not listening to us when we tell them. They need to, because we all know that we know the thing is everything is effed up. But it seems that they don't, you know, they don't want to get into it and they don't want to believe it. Now, <clears throat> I'm bringing that up now because I feel like there's so much knowledge in there in that book. But it just so happened that this man, Jeff Sessions, just did some, he was at some kind of, he was giving a speech and he said something that fell right in line with what everything in the color of law is talking about. This man, Jeff Sessions, and... I, you probably heard it at the you heard it at the beginning. All right. Jeff Sessions said the office of of sheriff is a critical part of the Anglo-American history. I mean, Anglo-American heritage of law enforcement. We must never erode this historic office. <clears throat> now, we have to we have to break that down. What does he mean by we must never erode this historic office? That's cold word. And that's everything that the color of law is about. See, we, we kind of trick ourselves. We trick ourselves into, um, into telling ourselves, hey, everything is better for black people. Progress is happening. Statistically, that's not true. But we tell ourselves that, right? And the more and more we say that, the more and more we get rich black people, these aberrations, these exceptions to the rule, these outliers, the more and more we get them, <clears throat> they go on TV and they say things like, a, all you got to do is work hard and X, Y, Z. The more and more it makes the government feel like we can we can um, kind of get rid of some of these laws that we put in place in the 60s to protect black people. Because you know why? We don't need to protect them because everybody's even now. Right. Black people can work hard and just become anything. So they don't need government law to help protect them. Right. So my man said we must never erode this historic office. That means. He, he's talking about heritage. He's talking about Anglo-American heritage. Anglo means white. That's like Northwest Europe. All right. Anglo-American heritage in the historic office. That means we must uphold our traditions. What are the traditions of sheriffs in America? Sheriff is really, we'll just take sheriff because we'll look at his whole statement as symbolic. Sheriff pretty much is all law enforcement. Because y'all know all law enforcement is not under the sheriff's department. The sheriff is voted in. And then deputies come up under the sheriff. But the police department is totally separate. They're not voted for. They're contracted with the city. Okay, so we must we must never erode this historic office. Eroding the office would be what? That would mean changing the history. Or changing the tradition. Not the history. Change the tradition. The tradition of the sheriff's was to round up black people. This is what they do. This is what they were put in place to do. You can't, like, when you, when you look back, there was a couple million people, there was millions of people in America back before black people got free, right? You don't see any massive police departments anywhere. You see, like, every town was governed or was the law was enforced by, like, one sheriff, one deputy. That's it. Soon as black people got free, that's when you're seeing police departments. There was no police departments before that. 
Those were just black. Those were just white people mobs that came together to round up black people. Right. Sheriffs, they started hiring a bunch of deputies. Why? So that they can oversee black people that they captured. If anybody or you've been locked up, you know, the depth, if you've been locked up in like a county jail, or whatever, where they got the deputy. Those people that, that work in there, they're not COs. COs are correction officers that work in a correction system after you've been convicted and sent to a penitentiary. The people that work in local jails are deputies. They work under the sheriff. They are literally overseers. Like this is it's literally that. He's saying we must never erode this historic office. He's literally saying, don't let these laws change. Let's keep the law and order thing intact. Law and order is another cold word. It means keep these black people locked up. Or it really, it, it don't mean that. It means don't let black people get out of line. Out of line. When you, you erode the historic office by changing the tradition, a tradition would be to round up and wrangle Negroes and lock them up so that they can work for free. When you stop doing that, you effing up the tradition that these people hold near and dear to their hearts. You understand? Now, why is that important? That's important because in the color of law, they use that same exact wording to make it so that you could not sell real estate to black people in the first half of the 20th century. You understand? Now, some of this information I knew already, right? From the book, The Color of Law. But some of it I did not know. And mainly I didn't know some of the um, the people involved, first of all. I didn't know that the government was so influential in it. You know, I thought it was just a few racist people in the South that had some power. And they were calling the shots, making it hard on black people in the South. This book does a good job of showing you this ain't the South. The, f the whole first chapter of the book is about San Francisco. Now, we look at San Francisco now. Is this the most liberal place? The Bay Area, Silicon Valley. That area is supposed to be like the most liberal. You know, you go out there, you get liberated. You get to be free. You get to be yourself. You get to be equal with other people around it. No, they start that. This is how raw this book is. They started out in San Francisco to let you know it's not the South. Or it is the South, but it's not just the South. And the South wasn't the worst when it came to post-Reconstruction discrimination against black people. Because that's what this whole book is about. We know slavery was terrible, right? And we know Reconstruction was great for us. But a lot of people don't talk about that, that um, the economic implications of the Jim Crow era. And we don't talk about how long that period lasted. <clears throat> we talk about it like everything just ended when Martin Luther King died. You understand? But this book goes all the way up to present day, showing you stuff that was going on, showing how the, the, the thing that they used to do in the 1930s is very similar to what they did that made the market, that made the whole American economy crash in 2008. You know, the real estate bubble. That, that bubble came from them targeting black people with these crazy loans. That's the same line of thinking that got that it's where all of this other stuff in the book came from. It's how they segregated everything. Listen, man, the book is raw. Now, which will we'll be. I, I, I wish I could bounce. I like I, I feel like. I should I should get callers in. Maybe when I finish the whole book, I'll talk to other people about what they think about the book. I know what I think about the book. Um, I know Yvette Carnell is reading the book right now. Antonio Moore is the one that recommended the book to everybody. 
it's a great book. I see what they think about it. In my mind, man, I took so many notes. I know I just can't read them all to y'all. But I will say this, man. This book also shows that there, there, were, there were white people that were trying to do things on our side. Pretty much good allies. You know what I'm saying? Which we knew there were there were some white allies, but the things that they were doing, they were okay. So put it like this: they have a they have a whole group of, of people, right? One hundred families, and three families are black. They say, "Hey, FHA," because yeah, the FHA and the VA, those are departments, agencies, as part of the American government. They were part of it. They were the main driving forces of this whole thing. They hit them up and say. Hey, we want to uh, we want to get a loan to develop some land in the suburb because you know we want to build an establishment, a community for ourselves. They said, "Yeah, we'll give you the money, but you can't have those black people living in your community with you." They state so they went and get got lawyers and they said, "Hey, all right, we'll make a deal with you guys. We won't have we'll have our black <clears throat> demographic will match the demographic of the entire city, demographic being percentage of the entire city." So if there's 10% black people in the whole city, we won't have more than 10% black people living in our community with us. That was the white people saying, we'll negotiate with you racist FHA, right? The FHA took that information and said, no, if there's any black people living in there, we will not insure any of your loans. This is the FHA. This is the American government saying, no, black people are not allowed to live with white people at all. Not in the same house as... They're not allowed to live close to black people. White people and black people cannot live close to each other. This ain't white citizens in the, running around, you know, working at GM saying, I don't want to live next to no black people. This is the American government saying, you're not allowed to live by black people. Right? <clears throat> I, I posted something um, on Facebook the other day, yesterday, and this dude said, pretty much, he understands white people don't even have a choice. But to be racist, white people have to be racist in America. I'm not saying that a lot of them don't want to be, but I'm saying a lot of them have to be. Because if it's me, let's just say black people was in power, right? And and the black presidents and, and Congress people was like, yo, black people stay away from white people. If you deal with white people, we're going to destroy your whole family's life also with those black people. I'm going to choose my family and I'm going to get my family away from white people. That's what I would do. I would do the same thing. So I understand. Now, I'm not trying to, you know. Uh, uh, change the narrative of white people We know most of them was, was on that foolery Back then But some of them were not And they got their lives ruined for it And it's just crazy The book, you know, <clears throat> like I said I, We knew about this already I didn't know how the lengths that some of these people was trying to go uh, One man, you know He was sentenced to 15 years Because he bought a house and he gave it to a black man You know, not that he gave it to him But it's because the uh, FHA wouldn't Secure the loan for the black man the white man got the loan and he sold it to himself to the to the black man. The FHA found out about it. That man got locked up. He got 15 years for that shit. Just think about that. Now, if it's me and my people run this whole shit and they tell me, if you help a black person out, you're going to jail for 15 years. I promise you I'm not helping no black, no white person out. Like it's a guarantee. I'm not that person. So like when when you look at it, the white people in power, which is our government, they made sure that the white citizens all over the country remained 
supporting or feeding the racist system because they seen how much work we did in reconstruction from 1865 to 1877 they seen how much work we put in and they know if we would have had 50 years to to continue at that pace it would have been over we would have had this shit this country already the country just think about everything we did from 1865 to 1877 y'all can go look it up we were politicians we had businesses millions of dollars everything in just 10 years after slavery. This is after 200 years of them telling us we're not even out allowed to read. And we had we had grown that much. So imagine 50, 75, 150 years of that. We would have had the country by 1950. It would have been our country again. You understand? It would have been our shit. And we wouldn't enslave white people because that's not that's just that ain't our thing like that. We we don't really want to have white slaves. We just want to do our own thing. So this this book is showing you this book is showing so many it's 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 called the color of law so it's not really as much statistics as it is law and case studies it's looking at the outcomes of different court cases um you know what i'm saying like they used to black people would buy a house white people would go to the court and say hey um this black person moved in our community ain't supposed to the court would evict a homeowner they was evicting black people like you never heard like black. They were evicting homeowners from their own houses, evicting. You know, when you think evicting, you think, oh, he didn't pay his rent. He got evicted, not foreclosing, evicting, meaning just kicking you out your house and transferring ownership of your property to themselves. Just think about that. Now, this is this is the 1930s, 40s, 50s, right? 19, and it, it didn't stop right then, but I'm just the bulk of it was happening in the 30s, 40s, 50s, right? Think about all our we got grandparents that was around in that time. So think about all those people that wasn't allowed to move out of the out of the ghettos and get houses. They weren't allowed to. Not that they couldn't afford it, because they like to tell you, nah, black people was just poor. They couldn't get it. No, black people wasn't always they wasn't all poor. Some of them had money and they weren't allowed to move into different homes. And then even when they got in the home, which that means a real estate agent got paid. That means a, a, the home seller got paid his money. And that means the bank probably got paid from some mortgage that got paid off. Right. But that black person is out of all the money he spent to get that home. And he got to move back to the ghetto with with no money now because he just spent it on a house that he wasn't allowed to live in. Now, just think about that was only 60 years ago. That was the end of it was 60 years ago. So not, no, not the end of it, but the bulk of it was 60 years ago. Right. So think about how that affects us today. That's that don't just go away while everybody is out here screaming. Oh, man, y'all y'all want to blame white people for everything. We're not blaming white people for everything. We're just telling you the, the facts about the situation. It's not about complaining. It's about telling you the facts about the situation because I didn't let it stop me from doing everything I do. But I still we're going to discuss these facts. It's just facts. When you cause and effect is a universal law. You can't just say, yeah, we know these people didn't let you, even when slavery was over, they didn't let y'all y'all buy houses for 60 years. But y'all should y'all should be able to catch up. You know what I'm saying? You should be able to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Just work hard. You can be Obama, too. Like it don't work like that. <clears throat> Obama didn't even come from slaves. He came from a white woman and an African. So like. Listen, the reason why I tied it into uh, Jeff Sessions or why I tied Jeff Sessions into this, the FHA. OK, so white people started forming um, 
back in the like 20 or th- 20s or 30s or whatever. No, it was the 30s. White people started forming homeowners associations, right? Y'all hear about homeowners associations, right? The FHA would tell homeowners associations, listen, I'm not I'm not going to give even if it's 100% white people. They say I'm I'm glad that all of y'all are white. But I cannot insure a loan for you white people unless you white people write into your contract. Every single person that buys a home here has to sign it and say they guarantee to never sell this house to a black person. They have to write they have to write a contract saying they will never sell the house to a black person. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? The FHA required it was a requirement. You would not get your loan insured. Unless you had that in there. If you look at the book, they have an actual um, excerpt from the FHA manual that shows like it's a requirement. And in the same thing, they said the same thing in that book and that um, in those covenants, it were called land covenants or property covenants, homeowners associations covenants said the same thing that Jeff Sessions said. It said. Uh, bringing. If you allow a black person to get in there, it will erode property value. Said the same thing he said. He said, you don't want to erode the history of the office. They said you will erode property values by letting black people in. This is cold word for white people. Get ready. We about to do it. We don't know exactly what they about to do, but they're telling they. He just gave a call to all the cavalry. I don't know who they are yet. We're going to find out. He just put the call out. It's coming. Whatever is happening, whatever is about to happen is coming. I told I told people this before. The last time they did a massive tax overhaul, I believe, was Ronald Reagan. That's when crack hit. Not when it hit, but that's when it blew up and tore tore our whole shit down, tore everything apart. Trump just put a massive tax plan in. And now you got Jeff Sessions talking about we don't want to erode the historic office. They're coming for something. They're coming. If something is about to happen, I told people, if we can avoid crack 2.0, we can come out of this much more successful. Because last time we missed that, we missed the train of the, you know, we missed the early, the, the 80s to 95. I say 84 to 95. Black people missed out on all that pro, pro, um, progression because w- what crack was doing. And because of they with the crime bill and everything, we missed out on all of that. That's when they was building computers. That's when they was learning C plus C sharp. Um, I mean C plus plus C sharp C. They was learning Java. This is when white people was building. They everybody who you see at the top of um, the Forbes now, those people made their money at that time. You understand? So now it's it's happening again. <laughs> now we just gotta figure out what to avoid. We have to sidestep this thing. And we'll come out on the other side because it's just the beginning. The tax overhaul came. That happened already, right? Now this man is talking about uh, the heritage of the Anglo-Saxon American and all this shit. And he's talking about the sheriffs and don't erode it. Listen, this is the same thing they did 80 years ago. The FHA said you do not want to erode property values. I'm going to tell you another thing they did. They They had it in these contracts where... If a white person sold a black person a house, right, that white person could be sued by the homeowners association, right? When they get sued, that white man or that the person who sold the house to the black person, first of all, they're kicking a the black person out all the time. 
black person is getting kicked out that shit. They charge that white person uh, $2,000 for the nit. I mean, he had to pay $2,000 to the eight closest property owners. It's pretty much like restitution for bringing down his property value. So let's say if there's if you have one house and you have eight houses around it, the closest eight houses, he has to pay each one of them two thousand dollars. As some kind of, you know, uh, back payment or, you know, recompense or compensation for bringing down the property values of their homes. Now, this is not a real thing, but this is. The, the um, property fall, property value fall is not a real thing, but they still charge those white people for doing that when it was never the case. It never happened. Black people, it's been shown factually, black people have never um, brought down, inherently brought down property values from just living in a place. Actually, it has been shown black people coming into an area raises the property um, values. You know why? Because of this game called blockbusting. That's another thing these dirty fools came up with. So while everybody was scared to have black people move in their neighborhood, you would you would have these little shark white dudes. Now, these shark white dudes, they was real estate agents. What they would do, they was investors. What they would do is they would scare white people. They would go to white neighborhoods and tell them, hey, a black person about to move in. It's some black people moving in. And then what they would do, they would pay. They would play pay black women to roll strollers around these white people's neighborhoods. And make it look like black people was moving there. So you know what they did? The white person would get scared, right? Quote unquote. He would get scared and he would sell his house for cheap to that real estate investor, right? Then that real estate investor would turn around and sell it for sell it to a black person for much more. Right? Yeah, listen to what I'm saying. He would scare white people into selling their house for cheap. And then he would sell it to a black person for much more than it's worth. So it brought power. Black people took property prices up just because realtors were willing to sell it to black people for higher prices. They're like, okay, you want to live around white people? That's cool. We'll just charge you way more than we charge the white people. Listen to what I'm saying. This book is crazy, man. I never heard, like some of y'all might listen to y'all might have heard of this before. I have never heard of blockbusting before. I didn't know about this. They said they were paying black people to walk around white neighborhoods to scare white people into selling a house. I never heard of that. <laughs> like I, my mind was blown when I was reading that, man. It's called blockbusting. They was busting the block up. They would scare white people into selling a house. So all it, man, listen, you have, this is just the first five chapters. I didn't even get into like, yo, this thing is deep. The first five chapters is like that, man. Y'all need to read The Color of Law. I don't have, I'm not going to hold you, you know, that's a good 40 minutes of time right there. I'm not going to hold y'all up too much. It's one more thing I wanted to talk about. Just one more thing. So, let's just say, I want to, I want to, let's say you are in, you have two swimming swimming pools right next to each other, right? And... In one swimming pool, you have um you have five kids passing around a bucket of water. In, they're in a swimming pool passing around a bucket of water, right? And they just keep on passing it around. They just keep on passing that bucket around. And you know everything is cool because they, they're playing a good game. It's, everybody's sharing the water pretty much. And, uh, you know, nothing wrong with that. Everybody's just having a good time passing around a bucket. Let's just say they're five years old. 
they don't know what real fun is yet. So they pass around a bucket of water. Then the pool next to them is uh, five kids. They are passing around a bucket of water, but they have one of the kids is going to the other pool and getting a bucket from them every every um every cycle. Every cycle, every time the bucket hits him again, he goes and grabs a scoop out of the other pool and brings it back into his thing, dumps it in, and then they keep on passing around. Then he, he takes an empty bucket, he goes and grabs. Now, that's an analogy. That's an analogy for black wealth. The, the pool with the kids passing a bucket around, that's the black community. The pool with the kid that keeps getting out and getting a scoop from the other thing, that's everybody else's community. You see what I'm saying? That's, a, that's an analogy for black wealth versus black dollar circulation. A lot of people try to, try to tell, try to preach this idea that the black community would be better if we just spent our money with our own people. That would be cool, but that's not how you grow any wealth. Wealth does not grow like that. If we just passing the money around, we, we already know black people, we don't own everything anywhere. We don't own everything anywhere in this country. So eventually we're going to have to spend our money somewhere and it's going to probably be at Walmart or Target or Kroger or Giant Eagle or any of these places that we don't own. We're going to have to take some dollars there because the only thing black people own for the most part, salons, barbershops and restaurants. That's what we own mainly. That's it. And that, that's, that's not where we spend the bulk of our money at. So we just sitting in our pool and we just keep passing our money around and we just think, okay, this is gonna this is not going to help us build anything. It's cool to say, let's just do it. But then you got this other group over here and they, they are making money in our pool. They're accumulating water in our pool, from our pool, and taking it to their own pool. So while our pool is staying the same size relative to the surrounding area, that pool over there is getting bigger. The reason that that pool is getting, not only is it being more water into it, but now they have enough water to now they can expand their pool. They can make the pool bigger so that they can hold more water. You understand? Now our pools aren't even the same size anymore. Now we, we it's five people standing in a 300 gallon pool. They got six people standing in a, a, a 7,000 gallon pool. And we keep we we keep our right, so now we go to our job we bring water to our pool and we all dump it in together, we circulate it and these people just making they go to their jobs and they getting money from we going to work they getting money from our pool also. I said that to say, if we want to make new money, extra money, black people we gonna have to start doing business in white communities, man. We're gonna have to start going into Mexican communities making their money. We're going to have to start going into Korean communities making their money. We're going to have to start putting these businesses in Chinatown. Mainly white communities because they have the most communities in America. All right. It's not going to work if we just keep on opening businesses up on top of each other. I said this before. People try to act like black people don't support each other. That's the biggest falsehood in American history, man. Black people do support each other. We just don't have enough money to buy everything from everybody. We don't have we're not the ones with the money. White people have the money. So you need to start a business in their neighborhood somewhere. You need to start a business in their community. 
in whatever suburbs they live in. You need to put your restaurant out there. They like to fetishize our stuff anyway. If you want to open up a salon, why don't you do their hair? Like learn how to do white people's hair like they learn how to do ours so that they can make our money. They learn how to make soul food, open up a soul food restaurant. You would never know it was white owned or Chinese owned. All you know is you eating it. You don't know who owned it because they got black people working at the front counter. So you just think it's a black establishment, but it's not. It's owned by uh, Asian people or it's owned by white people. This is this is like this is basic, uh, basic mathematics, but we never think about it because it sounds cooler to say black people don't spend our money with each other. But that's super false, man. It's not true. We do spend our money with each other. But if I have a barber already, I'm not going to your barbershop. I'm going to my own barbershop. And that's only like 15, 20, $25 every two weeks or whatever. That's not enough to keep the black community afloat. You need to put that barbershop in Buckhead. You understand? If you up in Ohio, that barbershop, you need to have that barbershop in Poland somewhere, man. You need to have that barbershop in Hubbard. You need to have that barbershop in, in Columbiana. If you in PA, you need to have that barbershop in Sharpsville or something. Newcastle, you need to have that barbershop somewhere else. It can't stay in Ferro. You can't stay in Youngstown and think you're going to make a whole lot of money. You cannot stay in Riverdale and College Park and make all that money. You can't think you're about to stay if you, I don't know, if you're up in Detroit, you can't think you're about to stay on Dexter Road or, or, and, and feel like you're supposed to make some kind of massive amount of money doing legal business because you're getting money from the same pool. You need to go to people who don't have who have a different set of money and you and you come home with their money. That's what everybody does to us. It's not wrong. That's how business is supposed to be. We just need to start doing it. I'm not telling y'all like y'all don't know and I do know because this is something that I didn't do either. Like when I had a shirt uh screen printing business, I wasn't selling to white people. I should have been though. You understand? So I'm saying that to say this myth that black people, we could just fix our whole situation if black people support each other. That's false. If we could fix our whole situation, if we just spend our money in our own communities, that's false. We don't have enough money and we don't have enough variety in the type of businesses we own, man. Think about the pool analogy and take that with you. Go far with it. Take it with you and think about it. When, you, when you're thinking about business ideas, don't look at what the next black person is doing and saying, that works for them. I know how to do that. So let me do it too at my house in the same neighborhood they're in. It won't work like that. It's not going to work like that. We have to think strategically about what we're trying to do, man. It's not about pride. It's strategic. If you don't want it, it makes no sense for us to only be competing with each other. The reason why these people locked us out for hundreds of years is because they didn't want to compete with us. Now they don't have to compete with us because we think we only supposed to compete with us. We want to get money just so we can shit on somebody that we look like. Of course, that's not everybody. But when we get money, we don't we don't floss it in front of nobody else. We only floss it in front of each other. So it's like, yo. They locked us out for years, for hundreds of years, because they didn't want to compete with us. That means they know something about you that you don't know about yourself. You understand? I know I'm going a little bit too much right now, but I don't care. I had to say it. And, you know, if somebody is going to tell me that I'm wrong, we can pull the stats up. I will show you every black community in America and I will show you the share of black businesses versus white businesses. Then I will show you every white community in America and I'll show you how many black businesses are in their neighborhoods and communities versus how many of their own businesses are in their neighborhoods and their communities. 
Like this really can't be disputed, but if you want to try and dispute it, I'm willing I'm willing to take you up on that offer of debate because you know I'm a thousand percent with that. This is not just this is not just um me just talking because it sounds good, black empowerment. No, I'm telling you because this is what the people who have succeeded, this is how they did it. Also, they haven't had a government attack them. We have had the government attacking us, but we we still, as far as economically, without a military, that's the fa- that's the best way for us to do it. We need to go into other people's communities and get their money, bring it back to our house. Don't move to those communities. Live where you live at. Go get their money and come home with it. They, these people fetishize everything we do. I'm telling you. If you don't know what fetishize means, look, look it up. They fetishize everything we do. You understand? That means if you do it, they think it's cool. That means they just want to be around it because it feels cool to them. Just go get their money. They have the money for you. Go get it. All right? I ain't, I ain't going to give... I ain't, You know, that's all I got for y'all, man. I ain't going to go... I'm not going to take too much more of your time. That is all I have for you, man. Make sure y'all hit me up. Let me know what y'all think about everything I'm saying. Tell me what if y'all get the color of law. Tell me what you think about the color of law. If you heard Jeff Sessions say that foolishness, tell me what you thought about that. If you heard about allergic bullying or allergy bullying, let me know what you thought about that. If you heard about Boston Police Department celebrating a white man for Black History Month, let me know what you thought about that. Listen, man. F jail, F prison. I don't like that shit. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. I'm not talking about for myself. I don't like it for my people. That shit whack. All right. Um. Peace out. Hit me up on on uh, Twitter at kilo underscore righteous man. Peace out. <laughs>